guys, on this episode of Manufacturing Unscripted, we have Edward Stockline, the North American Sales Manager for Promise Inc. Today we talk to him about building a sales team, cross-training employees to achieve better results, and what he is excited about in manufacturing. Without further ado, enjoy the show. This podcast is sponsored by Promise Incorporated, the leading provider of fully electric servo presses for manufacturing. Promus provides global support for pressing and motion control applications in multiple industries. With precise positioning and in-process force monitoring, your company will begin to see ROI on day one. Call 810-229-9334 or email sales at promisinc.com to speak with an expert engineer about your application today. Hey guys, welcome to Manufacturing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rawl. And I'm your co-host, Lauren. Uh, Today we are joined by a guest, a long Longtime friend and coworker of mine, uh, Ed Stockline. He is the sales manager at Promise Inc. Hey, Ed, how you doing? What's going on, guys? Hey. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, we've talked about having you on for a bit, so it's it's a uh, it's it's fun to finally have you on. Um, but like all my first time guests, you are victim uh, to my first question, and that's uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey through the manufacturing industry. Yeah, so I was born in January of 1989. Oh, you don't have to go that far back. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Uh, I'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, journey into manufacturing. Uh, so I'm classically trained in automotive technology, uh, high performance and regular autos, uh, consumer autos. Um, went through a, a tech program at a university in Ohio. Um, uh, so I went through a sales program at uh a distribution company out in Pennsylvania, uh, where I learned kind of the the sales game. Um, I came back from Pennsylvania back to Michigan uh, and started up with Promus on the final assembly side. Uh, so they needed a technician to put together some controllers and um, presses and things like that. Uh, finally moved into the application engineering group, so helping out basically the, the customers at a, a technical level, going to plants and, and fixing things, calibrating units. Um, and then uh, kind of morphed into uh, a sales and applications role, uh, and then finally moved into just straight sales, uh, taking care of North Carolina, uh, eventually the West Coast, uh, and then came into uh, the sales management role. Um, so now I have a, a team of people that uh, we manage all of North American sales, uh, a little bit of South American there too as well. But um, yeah, that's, that's essentially how I got into it. Going from like classically trained um, mechanics to uh, sales, is that a transition you always planned on going or was that just kind of an opportunity that you took advantage of? Uh, for sure it was an opportunity. Uh, I'd always worked in restaurants and automotive places doing oil changes and that type of thing. But um, we had this opportunity at school where uh, we got picked, it up, picked out of uh, – out of our class, I think some of the people with top GPAs, um, I think there was like maybe 15 of us. Uh, and then we did some open interviews with this company that was selling automotive aftermarket parts. So like lift kits, rims, tires, superchargers, turbo kits, that type of thing. Um, and then, yeah, I, I met with their VP of sales and another manager there and, um, they liked me for the, the sales role. It was, it was kind of a, um, it was kind of their management program that they had made. Um, so that it was, um, 
they put me in like an 18th month rotation where I did sales, customer service, and then um, worked in their warehouse and distribution chain. Uh, so I kind of got a little bit of um, that distribution training mm -hmm. over that 18 months. And then, and then you started at Promise in what year? Uh, 2012. Okay, so the year after me. Yep. Got it. Yep. Ten years now, one decade. Yeah. Yeah, no, and then, Lauren, you started in? Uh, 2016. And mm -hmm. I feel like the three of us, I mean, we work pretty closely together now. Yeah. Pretty well, much daily. I mean, you two more so now. Yeah, sales and marketing is pretty close. Well, great. Uh, a little too close. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is you've you've done a really good job in terms of I think of our sales team and really developing, you know, the sales guys. I know you've taken in some younger guys that you know were very new, but I think they've fallen your system, have really uh, picked it up really quick. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, employee growth because. Um, from your background, obviously there was growth opportunity, and I think you benefited from it. Um, but and I think you're kind of paying it back to the people that work for you now. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on employee growth and how it's benefited you, and then how you think it benefits employees. Yeah, no, it's a it's a pretty good topic. Uh, we have, um, well, as you guys know, uh, but the audience doesn't. Uh, we have kind of a, uh, we're a smaller company that's a little bit more flexible than a, a typical corporation. So, uh, Matt, I think you've probably experienced quite a bit of that too, mm -hmm. where, um, you know, you as a mechanical engineer were working with our shows and stuff, right? So getting stuff set up for the shows and, and making recommendations on, on marketing stuff pretty early on. And, uh, you know, Glenn appreciates that type of stuff, right? Because yep. it's, it, it's helping foster growth, but that communication across departments and stuff too yep. is, is pretty important. Um, and we also need the mechanical help on the, the marketing and sales side, right? Where to put demos in a show booth and those types of things. Um, for me personally, I mean, we, um, my, my intro to applications training was actually, um, uh, a Friday afternoon sometime in the spring, um, probably f six, seven years ago, something like that. And uh, Glenn came to me after her working. I think he came to me at 4.30 and say, hey, we have a, uh, an application engineer down in North Carolina that uh, there's a press down and we don't know what's wrong with it yet. Can you load up a press into a van and drive down there and help him out? Um, so... Uh, this was 4.30 after working all day. It was mm -hmm. a Friday. Um, I had concert tickets that night, uh, which I gave to my buddy and, and threw a press in a van and, and drove it all the way down uh, to North Carolina. Um, and then proceeded to spend the next 12 or so hours working on uh, an issue on the line with uh, one of our apps engineers. Um, so it wasn't really planned, right? We we didn't have the the resource on the app side to to be able to go and do that, so uh, I just kind of hopped up in a in a van and went down there. Um, and then after that, it was you know whenever they needed a little bit of additional help, um, you know, going with other application engineers or going, uh, you know, on calibration trips and that type of thing, just a little bit of extra capacity. Um, now that coupled with some of my sales experience and stuff, uh, the next step was to um, 
kind of deal with customer issues and then just naturally progress into the sales side of things. So um, I eventually opened up uh, an office in North Carolina for uh, Promus uh, while we were hiring someone from down there and uh, getting them trained up in in Michigan. Um, And then once he was ready, then we flip-flopped and I came back to Michigan. And then and then how are you kind of taking that now and applying it to our our new sales? You know, because we, we have that same kind of journey, right? We do have some guys that are coming from apps, but we've also recently started hiring directly into sales and, and kind of building. And so there's that 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 gap of where you, you had that technical experience that, you know, from being in our, our, our final assembly. Uh, how do you fill that gap for your new sales guys? Yeah, that's probably been one of the more challenging parts. Uh, you know, you hire a non-technical salesperson, someone that's kind of trained to hunt and and, and kill for sales, right? Um, they may not come with the technical experience or the technical know-how, um, but that's that's pretty okay, uh, at least for our organization, because we have such like a good team. Uh, the The application engineers are kind of the, the core of our, uh, you know, customer and engineering experience, uh, at least outwardly to the customer. So um, they they have the benefit of being able to, to hop in a car and, mm-hmm. and go to a customer site and, and learn all that stuff. You know, when you can go to a, a plant and there's 150 presses there, right? There's a, a ton to be learned, you know, in terms of the tooling, the mechanics, and how a machine works. Um, Typically, we're looking for, you know, someone that has at least a little bit of industrial experience just so they know, you know, how auto plants work and, and those types of things. But um, realistically, most of our most of our sales team is people that came up through our organization. Mm-hmm. So um, we have people that started in software that came up through apps and then into the sales group. Uh, we have people that, um, you know, just started as application engineers without really knowing, you know, where that that growth path was and we found out that hey these guys are actually pretty good in front of customers and presenting and that type of thing so we we pulled them organically into um into the sales organization uh and then the the application route um that that's pretty um it's pretty common for our sales guys uh which is great for customers because we're not like i would say classically trained salespeople where it's you know quote, 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 close, close, close. Yep. It's how does this thing work? How does it apply to your application? What can we do to to make your lives better um, and making sure that our customers invest the right amount of money for the projects that they're working on? And, and I know it's it's something you mentioned last week when we were talking about it was um, you've taken it on upon yourself because you recognize that, you know, everyone essentially is a salesperson for a company, right? You know, and so you know, you, you mentioned, you know, I don't have to just train my guys. I have to do a certain level of training with everybody so that they know what the, the proper techniques are and way to approach certain situations because if a sales guy isn't present, you are the sales guy, you right. know, and you're selling the company. Yep. And so I think that's a, a good point you made of, you know, yes, I have a sales team, but everyone here is selling promise at, to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. And there's another level, I think, beyond that, that, um, you know, our sales team has kind of their their methods hmm. and how they approach, you know, talking to the customers and that type of thing. One thing that uh, I guess has been a focus for me is, you know, going back to the organization being like, 
hey, this is how our sales process works. Uh, and uh, to teach, say, the mechanical team or the marketing team uh, or even our leadership team how that process is going to uh, unfold has been pretty challenging but pretty fun, I think. Um, a lot of it's communication, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever there's um, – Whenever there's discussions going on around what can we do to improve, you know, your company type of uh, of discussions with people, it's always, you know, centered around communication. Well, if we communicated better, we could do X, Y, Z. Um, for us, it's more um, figuring out what we need to communicate to the other departments. So as you know, we do like a lot of custom type workstations, that type of thing. Um, there's a lot of communication that has to go on between our yeah. application engineering group because those are the guys that are going to have to, you know, work on the project and, and do the programming and that type of thing. Um, between the mechanical group, the electrical mm-hmm. groups, uh, even the development groups to some extent where, you know, we might be providing, say, a new accessory or something that, you know, takes a little bit of software time or takes a little bit of planning on on the development end. What, so what about, though, so that, that's the communication side, but I know – there's also the importance for you is the cross training, right? So, you know, helping your sales team become more technical, you know, in ways like that. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So to a certain point, they have to be technical. They have to know how things are put together, right? Our main market is, you know, assembly. So uh, if you, you know, have trouble building Legos and following directions and, and something like that, it probably be pretty tough for you to kind of, get on the phone with a customer and conceptually think about, you know, how piece A goes into piece B and then goes into housing C type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to have a little bit of like spatial awareness and, and application experience at some level. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not an engineer, right. um, but knowing and working on cars and taking apart things and putting them back together gives me kind of that unique knowledge of how to picture that in my head. Uh, which is one of the harder things to teach to, say, a, a new salesperson or anybody that's really right. not technical, right? Yeah, the, the best advice I can always give them is, do you have a picture or do you have a video? Yeah. Because a lot of times there is kind of that loss in translation when they come to me and say, start talking about it, and then I ask for size, and I ask for, you know, you know, what are they currently doing? Why doesn't it work? You know, things like that, that. I know over time, the more that I've worked with a lot of our sales team, they start to start to kind of write down the same questions that I've asked mm-hmm. customers initially, and they start asking those. And it does really help, you know, it, it shows that they're they're paying attention, right? Instead of just kind of like, oh, Matt's talking, yeah. let him do his thing, I'm going to kind of zone out, you know, because the questions that I'm asking technically usually aren't technically focused. They're just you know, basic questions that I need to know some of these details because I want to understand why you're coming to us, you know, what, what's wrong with it, you know, because I don't want to give you the same thing that you're doing now. I want to give you something better. Yeah. Um, Edward, when you transitioned into the sales role, did you have to do any, like, do you have any resources? Like, did you study? Did you um, do anything differently? I know that you read a lot of books, so I was wondering if, like, you have some that you would recommend. Can't give away all my trade secrets, Lauren. Come on. Well, <laughs> this is a learning. Everybody's learning. <laughs> Uh, yeah, quite a bit, actually. So uh, when I first came over to the – actually, 
before I took on sales management, it was really just kind of my own experience. So I'd managed uh, with my distributor, uh, I had accounts equaling about three million um, that I was working on, but that $3 million came from about 3,000 different accounts. So I was kind of on like the, um, the, the bad part of the accounts where you only had a guy buying, you know, $1,000 a month type of thing out of car parts, yep. which is nothing, um, versus like someone spending, you know, a, a larger account at that company might have been 250000 a month or something mm -hmm. ridiculous like that. Um, so a lot of my training and experience was like cold calling some of these shops that had either done business with us before or, um, you know, had experience with, with that distributor before. Um, that's what I use getting into into uh, Proma sales. Um, so it was just tell me about your application. How does your part go together? How many are you making? That type of discussion. Um, now, that is fine for kind of that initial discovery phase. But what you really run into after that, especially with some of these automotive programs that are longer, is um, you know, if you're not keeping the conversation going with, with a customer or prospect, you're probably going to lose the sale, uh, mainly because the, um, the conversation just dies out. That allows, you know, your competition to get in there or other things to happen, right? You're not getting the updates that you should from a, from a customer. Um, the, the, where, where I'm going with that is, uh, yes, I have, uh, I've read a lot of sales books over the years, um, but we've mainly kind of, uh, focused on maybe four or five of them that are, uh, just kind of the foundational sales stuff, uh, that we focus on. And usually the first books that I give, uh, new, um, new employees. So, um, the most basic one is new sales simplified by, um, Mike Weinberg. Uh, the next one would be Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blunt. Um, and then some of my favorites uh, is basically Anthony Annarino's uh, whole collection of books because it kind of um, matches, you know, our value proposition, what we're trying to do for our customers. Yeah, you love Anthony so much. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> you and me met him at that, a, at that conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, plug. So he's got quite a few books, but a lot of it is, um, you know, what happens if your customer underinvests in their results? Um, and that's that's the main gist of it. And uh, part of our sales training is is trying to have that conversation with the customers to say, you know, are you investing the right amount of money for the results that you're trying to get? If you're not, what can you do to to make the adjustments and make the change that you need to in order to improve your uh, improve your results? Yeah, what are um, a couple of the not to put you on the spot, but what are a couple of the like main differences between you know um, sales in the manufacturing space versus like consumer goods or um, selling something that's a little bit more temporary? Yeah, well, of course I'm on the spot because I'm sitting <laughs> well, here. I would think, yeah. Like ROI is yeah, the biggest thing that we Ed and I fight is that's the first thing that a lot of times is, you know, people ask us, well, what's our return on investment? And it's like, that's complicated. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, it's a lot harder, um, even like software sales and things like that, even though your cycle or your mm -hmm. sales cycles are a lot longer with say a, a larger enterprise software or something like that. 
Um, the the main thing with manufacturing is um, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite terms to describe manufacturing because you'll get a guy with his hair on fire calling you up and saying, hey, I need a quote before, you know, Friday type mm-hmm. of stuff. And um, then you don't hear from that guy for six months and then he sends you a purchase order, right? Like that that's kind of uh, how things go in manufacturing a little bit. Um, and then some days, you know, you, you will get a guy with his hair on fire, uh, you know, hey, I need a quote today. I'll get you a purchase order as soon as I can, and then you got a PO sitting on your front door um, the next morning, type of thing. Yep, that's a good feeling. Uh, with consumer products, it's a lot smaller of a sales cycle, right? So you might be doing, you know, one or two calls, usually one if it's you know a low dollar value. But you know, you're talking larger projects with us where uh, decisions get made over months and not days necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's quite a different experience. Um, yeah, which makes it all the more important to keep that communication I line open. F- I also feel that consumer products that you normally come in and know exactly what you want, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you've already done all the research, you know exactly how much it's going to be. You know, you, you pretty much come with cash in hand. Yeah. For a lot of ours, it's, it's more grooming and, and kind of growing that relationship and building something off of it. Yeah, and uh, I think one stat is buyers in mm-hmm. uh, any given space uh, with the internet and how much information they can find on on the web. Usually, buyers in like a larger purchase are probably about two thirds of the way through uh, the buying process by the time they actually reach out to somebody for information. Uh, so that's drastically different than where it may have been, you know, even like 30 years ago where nothing was on the internet everything was in catalogs type of thing. So um, what we've found is we actually, um, we offer a little bit of that expertise on on some of the calls. So a lot of times we have customers that are coming to us not even really knowing how to put something together. They just know that, hey, I have part A and part B and it's going to go together with the press. So how do I do that? And that's where we kind of come in and where our our specialty is, where we can kind of help them design that process and and make sure that um, what they're going to invest in is going to work for them every time. You got something to learn? No. All right. Well, let's – I want to jump into the next one because um, I I know this was – one that you wanted to talk about and just kind of it's where do you see the future of manufacturing going you know what do, what do you think has to happen for you know the americas to grow in terms of manufacturing you know what are you seeing out there uh yeah so for me um i mean what i'm most excited about is probably the uh we talk about like the industry 4.0 stuff but um you know in my mind, it's the stuff past that, right? So everybody can pull up a dashboard and and kind of show, you know, what's what's happening on the manufacturing floor, right? You're you're making parts at rate, the gauge is green. You're not making parts at rate, the gauge is red or yellow, right? Um, the next level of of manufacturing, I think, is you know, it's in the engineer's pocket. It's you know, you're getting a notification when. Um, that particular part failure, that failure mode happens, right? Those are some of the cool things that I think um, just having kind of a connected plant, um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of manufacturers out there that are real comfortable with having uh, their lines connected to the internet at this point, but there are a few that are making strides and making that a, a possibility where you can 
literally watch like your assembly line and its production rate and and all the things the OE and all that uh, from a phone or an iPad or you know a laptop while you're in a meeting or something like that. I think those types of things are pretty cool. Um, I mean, all of that for for me as a sales guy, it's I can calculate the ROI a lot better if I have that level of information, right? So I can calculate the downtime of a press and know whether or not that um, that press that's undersized is really uh, truly getting me better value than say the the more expensive press that mm. that never breaks down type of thing. Um, that's that's probably one of the the cooler things. Uh, there's a lot of discussion right now about AI, um, like with that chat GBT, GPT, which is a lot of fun, by the way, as a marketer, it is <laughs> yeah. fun. <laughs> yep. Um, so there's a lot of discussion about that, but uh, for whatever reason, that sparked a lot of um, news articles and things like that that are saying, you know, what's AI going to do? How many jobs is it going to replace? And I don't think it's necessarily the um, I don't think it'll be replacing jobs right away, but um, it's going to be a tool in the toolbox. Um, And it's pretty cool to see some of those things, um, like Lauren mentioned Mm -hmm. with uh, the marketing stuff. Like I read something, a guy, you know, he's making uh, essentially case studies like 100 at a time if you put in the right inputs, right? So there's... There's a lot of stuff around content generation that I think it's probably handy for on the manufacturing side. It's um, there's I think there's a lot, a lot of potential there. Um, there's not a lot of companies that are actually really implementing anything at this point, though. Uh, it's a lot of just talk and yeah. jargon. Um, we we had um, a gentleman on the show that he's using AI right for predictive maintenance and stuff like that. That you know that's not replacing jobs. That's if anything it might show that you need more jobs or something like that where, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, you're able to put in a bunch of data and it tells you, well, you're going to need someone here then, someone there then, you know, to keep your stuff running efficiently and just continuing to run. Um, and I, th- I think there's a lot of place for that. I know uh, with the chat thing, I mean, there's stuff that I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, software guys use it to say, how do I code this or how do I code that? And it's, it's able to output stuff for that you know so i i think there's a lot of room for it um much like robotics i don't think robotics are eliminating jobs there's creating more jobs there's it's the mundane type things that people are trying and the repetitiveness that we're trying to eliminate and i think ai would be used for that same purpose of you know filling out those excel sheets that you have to sit there and do over and over and over um so i i think there's a place for anything like that it's just you know, it's it's just new and it's scary. Yeah, and I think the the biggest challenge for manufacturers in in that space to to getting AI to work effectively for their their company essentially, um, there's a lot of security requirements right now around you know data that leaves the facility or or um, but you you have to have in order to have like a, a fully functioning AI you need like a, a historical data set right mm-hmm. um, if you don't provide it like a certain level of inf- information it's not going to really be as fruitful for you I don't think as manufacturer unless you're putting that data in um, so it just remains to be seen like how much data can uh, the machines out on the floor pull 
uh, which is a lot because a lot of them are using PLCs and, and you know, their their individual softwares, but they're all not really connected or communicating together. Um, so there might not be trends that um, you could, you know, you, you might see some trends with AI being able to pull, you know, hey, this side of the plant is doing X amount of parts per hour and this duplicate side of the plant is doing Y amount of parts per hour. Why is there a difference if the lines are identical, right? So then it allows you to kind of hunt through and find maybe the inefficiencies or there's something going on with cycle times in one of the cells or something like that. Um, the problem with where we are currently is, you know, each cell is kind of its own brain, right? And uh, the hard part about that is is interconnecting them uh, and using the technology that's kind of currently available to um to, to bring all that information to light. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some cool things that are going on. Uh, Promus is working on some, uh, cool things in the near future, uh, related to some of that. Um, nothing, uh, worth talking about today, but, um, definitely, uh, it, it's exciting just because there is a, a ton of potential to kind of change manufacturing from, from what it has been for the last maybe a couple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to open up this point uh, for you. Is, is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to discuss or, or mention before we kind of wrap things up? Um, what do you mean? Uh, I think you wanted to mention yeah, a do webinar. Do you have any plugs? Oh. Bad word? <laughs> you mean plugging? Uh, yeah, I already actually. plugged the book, so I might as well plug everything else. It's only my book. So <laughs> you're welcome, authors. In the notes. Yes. Um, no, uh, so we have a, a webinar coming up. Um, let me see here. Uh, it's called Getting Press for Results. It'll be on March 15th, 2022 for those 2023? of you. Oh, 2023. Everybody that wants to watch Everybody it that year. wants to pay it's attention the to future, the date. Not it in the is past. in the future <laughs> unless you're yeah. listening to this in the future. It is live in the future. Um, so we haven't sent out the invites yet for it, but if you want to get updates, you can sign up uh, on our website at promising.com. Um, come join us for that webinar where we're kind of uh, going back to that, you know, are you investing the right amount of money in order to get the results that you want? Um, we're, we're kind of exploring, you know, what, what the major benefits are, um, you know, from uh, prototype to production type of things. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. That sounds very exciting. I highly recommend watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, Edward, for uh, joining the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, of course. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time. Bye. See you. This podcast was brought to you by Promise Incorporated. Hosted by Matthew Rawl, produced by myself, Lauren Rawl, mixed and edited by Ben Parsons. Please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at podcast at promisinc.com.